You're listening to an episode of Law Review Squared, the Law Review Review. It is 2 p.m. on Wednesday, December 30th, 2020. To give our listeners some context, our final exams are over, but we haven't received our grades yet. I'm joined today by our panel, Seth and Joanne, who I'll ask to answer the question. After the podcast, we're singing Zoom karaoke. What song are you going to pick? Let's start with Joanne. Uh, probably um, Can't Help Falling in Love by Elvis Presley. Okay. Yeah. And Seth? I'll go with uh, Old MacDonald, I believe. And I am Tony Fernando, and I'll choose Rockstar by Nickelback. So that's the kind of mood I'm in right now. While supplies last, you can still get a free Law Review Squared sticker by sending your mailing address to lexclava at gmail.com. That's L-E-X-C-L-A-V-A at gmail.com. We'll ship anywhere, even if you're overseas. Reminder that the opinions here are those of the panelists and do not represent the view of Penn State Dickinson Law, the panelists, present, former, or future employers, or any other entity. Contents of this recording do not constitute legal advice. So, when we were planning for this series of podcast recordings that we're doing between semesters, it occurred to me that we haven't talked much about law school itself. I picked this article, Snitches Get Stitches, Ditching the Toleration Clause in Law School Honor Codes by Meredith C. Manuel which appeared in the Georgetown Journal of Legal Ethics. In this article, Ms. Manuel argues that law school honor codes should not have toleration clauses, which require a student to report an honor code violation if they become aware of one. The author looked at honor codes of the top 100 law schools as determined by U.S. News and World Report as they existed in 1987 and 2019 to determine whether each school had a toleration clause. Early on, the author says that law school honor codes should be considered conduct codes rather than honor codes because they tend to demarcate statutory-like regulations rather than espouse broad moral principles. Is this a useful or important distinction? Start with Seth. Um, I don't view the honor versus conduct code uh, as all that useful of a distinction, especially for students who aren't particularly well-versed in honor codes or I guess whatever you want to label them, having specific language that um, as, as to what does and does not constitute an offense uh, in the violation kind of helps to clear up some of the gray areas that can go along with honor codes. So like, for example, you know, what would you do in this circumstance? Is it against the honor code? Um, and it's, it's kind of like when you're citing sources when researching. I mean, back in high school and then early on in colleges, you kind of take on research a little more seriously. You get asked sometimes, should I cite this general thing? And uh, I even run into that sometimes today where if you're referencing something that's kind of common knowledge, you, you kind of wonder, should I actually drop a citation on this? And I usually do just to cover all my bases. But uh, I, I think it can be sort of analogous to, uh, analogous to honor codes. Uh, albeit you know, morality and ethics are inherently gray, I suppose. Joanne, you're coming at this from a perspective of someone who has not entered university yet, um, but high schools have honor codes as well. Do you think that your high school's code is more of an honor code or a conduct code? Um, so I have read my entire school handbook and all the conduct honor codes, whatever they're called. I'm not sure exactly what my school calls it, but I feel like it's more of like a conduct code. I mean, because an honor code is more like the morality. I feel like the morality of people where conduct code is just like the rules. That's kind of like, I feel like an honor code has, uh, like Seth was saying, like there's that gray area where you need specifics laid out, which I feel like 
that's what you get in an honor code. Whereas like a conduct code is more like rules you have to follow. Um, so there's not like a ton of, I guess, morality that's being questioned if you go against a conduct code as if you were going against an honor code. So I guess my school, I feel like of all the schools that I've been to, all of them have been more of conduct codes. One thing I thought was interesting um, that the author had put there was um, she kind of said that it was implicitly the function of any institution of higher learning to be teaching morality, which is odd to me because that doesn't entirely line up with um, my experience in higher education. Uh, in any case, I think there's a lot of education that's technical rather than trying to impose a morality. Um, if we are attempting to impose morality with our codes, whether they're a conduct code or, or an honor code, do you think that the more open-ended uh, codes such as they have at West Point or the Naval Academy where it's, you know, uh, West Point is, is fairly simple. It's I will not lie, cheat, or steal or tolerate amongst us anyone who will. Um, would those do a better job of, t uh, of imposing a morality? Uh, as opposed to a list of do not plagiarize, do not uh, record things, do not um, do this or that, Joanne? Um, well, honestly, I think it kind of depends. Like, so as a high schooler, um, you're still learning and everything. So I feel like having um, it laid out. So like plagiarism is a misconduct or, um, you know, cheating, um uh, profanity and stuff. I know that's in a lot of like conduct honor codes because, you know, it's not right or whatever. Um, so I feel like it depends because when you get into college, you've had that drilled into you that all these things are wrong. So I feel like when you get into university or like um, law school, vet school, med school, wherever you're going, um, I guess I feel like those should be more cut and dry like quick yeah i will not cheat steal lie or like and i won't just like let anyone get away with that so, so. that's a that's a good question um i do like the broader ones i think um and it depends on what that institution is gunning for right and i think as we may talk about the the higher level institutions tend to not have the very specific honor codes. Um, and I think both in part is because they're trying to create a, a, a higher um, higher level of, of moral person, maybe. Uh, I could be wrong. But, um, and so if you're looking at it, you would expect the students to kind of create their own culture of integrity and, and you know, honor or whatever you want to call it because they inherently understand the importance of, of what they're learning and doing, whether that be law or, or the medical field or whatever they're doing. Um, and so maybe it, it kind of turns on culture and, you know, you want to create a more holistic sense of integrity in, in person. That's an interesting thought. I, I, I do wonder if whether the higher tier universities kind of implicitly assume that they are accepting people who have already 
integrated a higher moral uh, standard, and and that's why the toleration clauses are less frequent. Let's go ahead and jump to the uh, statistics. So the author of the article presented some statistics. In 1987, 45% of schools had a reporting requirement uh, or toleration clause. Now, those are the clauses where somebody who witnesses an honor violation or a code of conduct violation is required to report it. That rose to 49% by 2019. In the top 14, which is the elite law schools, only two had mandatory reporting requirements. If you look at schools that had more than a 90% bar passage rate, 39% of schools had a toleration clause, and it falls to 35% for schools with a 95% bar passage rate. So that does suggest that the better schools do not have toleration clauses. And does that make sense? Or could it alternately mean that the schools just produce more cheaters? Joanne? Well, I wouldn't say that they produce more cheaters, um, but you don't know if there are more cheaters or less cheaters because there's not the toleration clause. But in another sense, the toleration clause, it gives light to, I don't know how to say this, but so there was a scenario in the beginning, right? Um, you, you're in law school, you see someone recording, um, what do you do? Do you report it and honor the toleration clause or do you just talk to the person? And I feel like if there's not a toleration clause, there, you're less likely to report it and more likely to tell the person that it's wrong. Um, so maybe not like, I don't know, I guess uh, higher ed- these larger, bigger schools like have higher expectations. So they like, automatically expect their students to not cheat so they're like or like not go against the honor code so they're just like all right well you don't have to report it because we're not going to have as many i guess like that mindset that our students are good enough that we don't have to worry about them breaking the code i think that's what seth was saying earlier seth do you have anything additional here uh I think the question kind of assumes that a higher level of bar passage rates um, mean there's folks cheating. (laughs) Um, So I don't know if that's true. It's probably not. I think, in fact, I mean, from what I understand, the bar is pretty, pretty tough to cheat on. Um, I don't know why you would want to take the risk. It's ridiculous. Uh no, uh, so I wrote the question, um, and I, I was not trying to imply that higher bar passage rates meant more cheaters. Um, I was using higher bar passage rate as a proxy for better school. And then the question is, if if when we look at these schools that have high bar passage rates, and then we see that they don't have toleration clauses, um, you know, is the reason why they have high bar press. So I guess, okay, maybe I did kind of imply that they have more cheaters. <laughs> yeah, but, just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, I was not entirely happy with the way the statistics were presented here. So I did uh, take Appendix 1 and, and dump it into a CSV file and run it back through, um, run it through R and did a Fisher's Fisher exact test on the uh, proportions. There is no significant difference between 1987 and 2019. Um there are some issues in the data as well. So the author had Marquette and University of Wisconsin-Madison as 100% bar passage. 
those schools have diploma privilege in Wisconsin, so their students don't actually have to take the bar exam at all. It's not clear whether that 100% was people who had taken the bar in other other states or whether they just report 100% bar passage. I mean, then there's also the concept of like class size. I mean, if you're if you're a law school with turning out you know 3,000 kids a class, you're going to probably have a, a lower bar passage score than a, a school that's turning out, you know, 50 for that year or something, I would assume, just based on the, the, you know, the numbers. There was a weak correlation uh, between bar passage percentage and ranking, um, but it's a weak correlation. Um, the It was, R squared was something like 0.2. Um, the top schools did have better our passage rates, but there's also a lot of schools that are in the bottom, you know, bottom 10, bottom 20 that also had above 90% passage rates. So, so with that in mind, I mean, the statistics were there. It was kind of interesting, but honestly, I think the data set supported a, a finding of, of no correlation uh, between having a toleration clause and the outcomes that we measure law schools by. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like the, the honor codes they're important and 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 they have to be followed but it's like how how much do they really hold weight as to the absolute outcome of the school and and as far as the bar passage and things like that i i don't know if it necessarily relates so much to academics as as again the general culture of the school and, and the, the caliber of enlightened human that you know that that school's going to turn out so that's a decent segue back to the second question. One argument for having our codes is that it's important to maintain the public image of the law schools themselves so that the public will trust them to produce morally upstanding attorneys. However, we do seem to have recurring cheating scandals at our, at our military academies, all of which have honor codes. Uh, most recently, West Point disclosed, disclosed about a week ago that 70 cadets had cheated on a virtual calculus final. Are institutions actually damaged by a public perception of cheating or honor code violations? Or does the public forget? Or do you think they just don't care? Is there an assumption that students will commit violations and that the schools will, will police them? Seth? Uh, I think the public forgets. Um, I don't know that there's an expectation necessarily, but I mean, I, I know that I'm, when I hear these things, you hear the admission scandals, even last year with uh, the Ivies and stuff like that. You, you, I'm not particularly shocked or outraged or anything, but I, I think that maybe alone can signify a, a larger problem that we've become sort of accustomed, especially to uh, misconduct and things, especially at the quote unquote, you know, the, the top levels, um, replacing such an emphasis on surface level achievement and not necessarily the substance of that achievement that kind of makes it creates this environment that uh, you do what you got to get that grade as opposed to uh, you know acquiring the knowledge or grappling with the uh, grappling with the concepts and you know it kind of kills me when i hear folks say you know i spent all this money and time on a diploma and that's all i got and i didn't learn anything and i'm like Man, you know what did you do the whole time you know and education is i mean economically you know you this world currently you need diplomas and things like that for the most part but um you know there's a much more inherent substance of an education that i, I think is is sort of downplayed uh, in everyday society these days Joanne? i feel like i can agree with what seth said that like i guess the public just forgets just because 
sadly we've just become accustomed to it like oh another college scandal oh another cheater just another one and that's really sad that that's the reality that we have come to um so i don't think like institutions are like damaged per se like maybe have like a little bit of a oof mm, what are they doing and then it just like blows over really quick and then people just want to go back just because i feel like if well i feel like if it's a school with um clout or whatever i'll say um it blows over um like pretty quick like nowadays you know it'll be all over the internet it'll be trending um oh this school is full of cheaters and then a week later it's on to the next celebrity dating scandal so i feel like pop pop culture like really really covers up this kind of thing so the public just moves on so fast algorithm driven public opinion yeah Okay. Yes, exactly, right. exactly. What do you think, Tony? What do you, what do you got on this one? So, I mean, one, one thing for me though, is that like, it's not actually a failure when your students are cheating and then getting prosecuted for cheating because your students are by definition students and they don't know everything and they should be learning in the process. So, I mean, yes, yeah, somebody who's in law school should know that they should not copy an exam or break into a professor's office and get the exam numbers or something like that. An undergraduate student or a high school student who plagiarizes because they just don't understand citation norms, you know, that's a honor code violation, but that's they're making it because they don't know yet and they're still learning. Um, and I'll say that this is one of those things where my opinion might have been much different 20 years ago um, because I have a lot more time now for trying to teach students um, than I used to, unless the student is Joanne, as she will attest to. Oh, well, <laughs> that's a hard on you. Um, but I will say that, like, I agree um, just because I know I've, I don't intentionally plagiarize like ever, but um, Seth said earlier, uh, common knowledge, do you find a citation or, you know, do you just say it? And um, I know I've accidentally plagiarized before because I've been like, oh, this is common knowledge. Let me just like type out a sentence or whatever about this just from the top of my head. But because it's common knowledge, it's typed like that in so many different places. So it, without that citation, it makes it seem like you're plagiarizing. Um, and I mean, technically you are, even if you don't know it or don't mean to. So, and I feel like when you get older, you like dad said, you learn, and I don't have that experience yet. So I'm just saying as a high schooler still, um, y'all both have so much more experience than I do. But I know we make mistakes and yeah, kids cheat. Um, I'll say I've looked at my notes taking a test or something because, you know, oh my goodness, I forgot this equation or something. Um, but I don't think it's like, yeah, it's a violation, but I don't think I should be like heavily punished for it. Um, get get a good talking to. No, no, you shouldn't do that. But then I don't do it again. I know better now. 
I, I do think a competent teacher should be able to design an open book test that still tests the material, even if the students can access their notes. And I think we saw that on our finals. I thought our finals were fair across, <coughs> excuse me, across the board. And they were all open book. So our co cohort, uh, me and Seth are both 1Ls, gets professional responsibility class in this coming semester. But the article indicates that the model rules of professional conduct require a lawyer to disclose a violation, which would call into question the fitness to practice of another lawyer. Is this surprising or just? Shanley and I actually discussed this in episode two in the context of drug dependency. Um, but in the context of a moral violation that's not a you know otherwise a criminal violation do you think that a lawyer should have to disclose a violation committed by somebody else that's a good question um probably uh the issue with lawyers getting probably the worst rap of almost every profession is, is kind of unfortunate uh, because for every half-assed attorney i've ever met i know about a dozen others who are some of the most you know genuine role models and, and heroes of society today you know but um but i do think lawyers have to work to uh, better that image and, and self-regulate their own ranks because um you know it's always going to be that one attorney who stole from their clients or whatever that's going to make the, the headlines and kind of further cement that unfortunate concept that lawyers are sleazy and snake oil or whatever but um you know, I think a lot of that really comes down to the, the fact that people don't really know what lawyers do. Um, I think the general public kind of sees lawyers as you know, these people who come and sue old grandmas for somebody tripping over their own feet or something. Whereas in reality, it's they don't see that the lawyer is is uh, you know slaving away to ensure that somebody uh, is held accountable for their actions or whatever the case may be. And and, um, you know, lawyers kind of operate in a black box that even I didn't really know what a lawyer did until I came to law school. So yeah, I think that plays a lot into that perception. Joanne, how about you? Do lawyers or other professionals have, uh, should they have an obligation to report misconduct by uh, other folks in their profession? I once again think this is a it depends um, scenario because depending on like i don't know whether whether or not it's like a big deal a big thing that they did like um someone murders someone yeah no matter what the scenario i guess you kind of have to report it i mean you can report it as like self-defense or whatever if it is but like if it's just once again like cheating or something then i mean it depends um whether or not they know they're cheating whether or not they know that it's against the honor code you shouldn't automatically report someone um and i guess in professions and stuff um places do have like their own honor codes or whatever like lawyers yeah the your duty is to the people. Um, but if like a lawyer or something takes a bribe that, and you know about it, you should report it. But if the lawyer accidentally makes a typo or something that messes up the case or something and like they're scared to like fix it, talk to them, don't report them or something. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's, 
how I feel about it. Okay. Yeah, the other way you can look at it too, I think, is is you know, lawyers are the ones who at least are supposed to know the law, right? And if you're going to be doing things that potentially could break the law, you know, that kind of dilutes the concept of law in and of itself of the person who's supposed to be you know, the the primary uh, proponent of the rule of law and the legal system and societal order and things like that are, are the ones who are not following it. Um, that that can lay some some bad uh, societal precedent, I suppose. Yeah, um, I think that's true. Um, and if you know, if this profession is essentially the the how do I want to phrase this? I, I think one thing that I have over the years come to think is that um, you know so, sometimes there's a tendency in our society to treat lawyers as sort of a priesthood be the only people who can interpret the law um, but that's not really how the system's intended to be the, you know, everybody is required to follow the law everybody should be able to understand it or at least narrow portions of it um, that are relevant to them but to the extent that lawyers are a priesthood that interprets the law they probably should be more morally upstanding than the general public has a moral obligation to be there were, uh, before the exams, there were several honor code uh, reminders. There was a, a compliance statement with the honor code on each one of our exams. Our school does not have a toleration clause. But one thing I noticed after finals is that there was no discussion on our group chats, not even after they were over, saying things like, wow, that was hard. Or, okay, now that's over. Someone please explain question three uh, to me. I have three degrees, and I have never... Uh, been in a class where people did not discuss the finals once everything was completely done. So the question is, do I just have no friends? Do younger people not discuss exams? Or are people afraid of inadvertently committing honor code violations regarding disclosing information? Uh, so I purposely muted our group chat uh, about a week or two before finals and then maybe a week afterward to, to actually avoid this exact problem. Um, I don't know about other people, but I worked a, a good a good number of years to get to law school, and I don't want to jeopardize that in any way. So um, even if I can just avoid even being potentially whacked with an honor code violation, you know, I'm I'm going to do that. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know I talk about this a lot with other people, but there's you know, the the competitive nature of law school is very unique, even. You know, in schools that try to create a culture that is non-cutthroat, you know, I think that actually requires people to be even more competitive in some regard because then you can't be overtly competitive. And it's it's interesting. So I think that goes along with not talking about finals um, is, you know, the competitive nature and, and the honor code violations. So I don't know. It wasn't even just finals. I mean, it was like all our assignments. It was... Um Nobody would. Nobody was saying anything, you know, through the entire semester. I, yeah. And I'm not expecting you people to say, "Well, yes." Yeah, so on, you know, I said this about a b, this, a a or b or whatever. Um, but like, you know, I I do kind of like. Now we all took our exams virtually. We weren't all walking out of the room, but you know, walking out of the room, it's like you, you do turn to the person next to you and, and kind of like, "Wow, you know, was that difficult for you?" Also. <laughs> um, 
and, and that was missing. <laughs> and that, you know, that goes along with, I think, doing law school in, in the COVID environment, you know, or the Zoom, Zoom law school or whatever they're saying. Um, and that's probably what I uh, am missing the most is the ability to just like see somebody in the hallway or run into your professor and be like, hey, you know, what's going on with this? And, you know, that's really, in my opinion, where a lot of the learning happens um, that allows somebody to come out of law school well-rounded. Um, so, you know, that's, it's an unfortunate aspect missing. And I think it's reflected in, in that and uh, in a lot of different aspects of law school right now. That also, you just don't have friends. Uh, that That's fine. But how, how do you and your friends in high school uh, deal with tests? I know that like you wouldn't discuss the ACTs with us at all because they had this uh, copyright disclosure statement on it. Um, so she wouldn't tell us anything about what's on the ACTs or the AP tests or, or stuff. But how do you and your friends deal with that? Um, so I'll say after the AP test, um, I took a ton of, I took a lot of my AP classes with um, my friends. Um, and this was before COVID. Um, we'd go in and when we came out, we'd go, oh my God. Okay, so was there one section in this test that you got like all B's or something? And everyone would be like, oh, what are you talking about? Or like, oh my God, yes. Um, and I'll say last year, um, which was my junior year, um, when COVID started, I had three AP tests, um, which several of my friends also took. Um, and while we didn't discuss the questions um, like directly, like, oh yeah, it wasn't question two about this and this and this. Um, Okay, wait, I lied. Actually, there was one question on the AP physics exam that we talked about in class afterwards. Um, after everyone had taken it, um, we had made sure everyone in the class had taken it. And we uh, were like, oh, I was a little bit confused about this part. So, like, I guess high school students are, like, trying to gather my thoughts. Um I'm too scared to talk about exact questions on the test. Like, I never tell you, like, you'll go, oh, was it hard? Was it easy? Do you think you bombed it? And I'll go, it was okay. And you go, oh, what questions? I go, I can't tell you. I literally put my signature down saying that I'm not allowed to talk about it um, until the test itself is released online, which is normally a couple years after, if ever. Um, so we don't talk about them too much, but we do discuss whether or not we had like patterns or something and like answers or whatever. But like when it comes to, um, short answer essay questions, we never talk about that kind of stuff. And I'm not exactly sure why maybe it's because we know we're signing something and we're just too scared to talk about it but we also joke about like oh who's gonna hear me if i'm if i talk about this question Ooh, but then we never do talk about it and i don't know like there's this internal fear that if we do talk about it something's gonna happen but then we also joke about like oh, how are they gonna know um so there were two hypotheticals that the author had presented really early on in the article. Let's go ahead and run through them. Assume for the moment that a toleration clause exists. So this would not be 
us as students at Dickinson because we don't have a toleration clause, uh, but if we were somewhere else that did have one. Hypothetical one, first day of class, you see a student recording a lecture, even though they shouldn't be. You're pretty sure that if they you say something uh, to that student, they'd stop because they just didn't realize they shouldn't be recording. Would you report this as a code violation? Yes, no, and why? Um, no, I would not because that person, they're recording it um, and you don't know why they're recording it. And like the hypothetical says, like you don't know if they know it's wrong because they, they're recording. Um, so I would confront them. Um, I was talking about the article afterwards after I read it um, a couple days ago confrontation is key <laughs> i feel like if it's something like that you just go hey dude you know you're not supposed to be doing that um and if they go oh shoot i didn't know i'll stop now thank you for letting me know then you're just like cool cool why would you report it even if that you know that they did something i feel like the toleration clause just right there is so I think it ruins friendships like you're the only one who knew I did that you told me so why did I get in trouble well because the toleration clause uh no um but like if they say so does it really matter just let me do this because I need the information um then you report it because then like they're ignoring it they know what they're doing wrong and they still want to do it at that point you would report it we'll go to seth next but i just want to point out that she is getting ready at the age of 17 for professor terry's civil procedure class because she just answered in the correct yes because format <laughs> uh seth what would i do uh, are we assuming there is no or there is a clause. we're assuming that there is a toleration clause here yeah first day of class i'd like to think that i would uh bring it up and that we would all be professional enough that they say oh cool man thanks sorry i didn't know um i'm not really sure what i would do i, I guess if there was a toleration clause and since i'm being recorded i would say absolutely yes i would report it as a code violation i do think that uh uh joanne brought up a point you know the the goal here in with any honor code should not be slavish devotion to the literal words of the honor code it should be what is the intent and the intent in this case this hypothetical is that the class not be recorded so if the person will stop recording i don't see where a toleration clause that forces a report and then creates a much bigger thing out of something that didn't need to be big um i don't i don't see how that is beneficial to anybody that said i'm not 100 percent sure that even schools that have toleration codes implement them so literally uh there was the uh i think it was university of oklahoma um had a dean who had been interviewed as part of this article and he said essentially that well we don't get a lot of reports or prosecutions even though we have this toleration clause and part of the thinking was that things were being handled before they were being reported yeah i don't even know that i would uh that i would want to go to a school that is that disciplinarian 
Um, I mean, if you've listened to the podcast before, you can probably tell that I'm not that keen on, you know, authoritarianism and things like that. And so I, I don't, you know, I would, I would hope that it wouldn't be that uh, strict in, in, in this specific hypo. Um, I would agree that like, I don't like super strict, strict um, schools because I feel like if I was going somewhere and they were going to take everything that I did so literally and like with the idea that I have the worst intent and that's what their honor code or whatever is for, I feel like that's just, it really deters me from wanting to go there because I'm just thinking, what if I make a mistake, they're going to automatically um, assume that I went in with ill intent, even when I didn't. So The second hypothetical um, was that someone shares a news article on a group chat related to the fact pattern for the civil procedure final exam. You're pretty sure at the time you see it that there are students who haven't taken the final yet. Is this something that should be reported? Yes, no, and why? And again, this is a hypothetical. Uh, our civil procedure uh, professor actually released the fact pattern in advance of the exam, um, so it would not have applied here. Uh, but given this hypothetical, uh, would this be something that should be reported, assuming that there is a toleration clause? I think in this instance, yeah, I wouldn't. I could see that being reported. I, there's a difference between recording a class, you know, the first day or whatever, and then screwing with my grade and your grade and, and everyone else's grade. Um, so I, I think that kind of crosses the line. I don't know where that line is, but in, in my opinion, that would cross it. Would you feel that that's something that crosses the line, even if there is no toleration clause, that somebody that should be something that should be reported? I think so. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not against that. Um, yeah, I think I pretty much agree with you um, on that, especially having now experienced law school exams. I think that that's, that becomes a material disclosure of information. Yeah. Integrity I, matters. I'm going to have to say I half disagree because uh, say they do share the news article and you know that there are a couple people that haven't taken the test. You let the person that shared it know that, dude, hey, there's people that haven't taken the test and they can, you know, delete it, unsend the message or something. Um, I guess it doesn't really work on Android, does it? Can you unsend a message on Android? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not sure, but um, so our class is using an app called GroupMe and on that, I don't think you can unsend something. All right, so then I guess this is also another, it depends um, scenario because it depends. Um, can you unshare it? Um, did you ask the question, hey, has everyone taken the test? And if everybody goes, yeah, you can share this with us, then you know it's on those other students that would have lied and said, uh, yeah, I've already taken the test. Um, you can go ahead and send the information. Uh, or they could say they could have said no. And if the person said that even after 
people have said that they haven't taken the test yet, then they're in the wrong. But I don't think you should automatically jump on the gun and, you know, automatically think it's with ill intent. That's that's just how I feel that jumping on it and automatically assuming that they're intending to break the code knowing that it's wrong. Um, I mean, you, you got to ask, you got to confront them and say, did you know that you what you did was wrong? And if they go, yeah, so what? You report them. And if they go, are you serious? I'm super sorry that you go, all right, well, don't do it again. And maybe like let your professor know or something that other students have, have accidentally gotten like information on it. And I don't know. I don't think you should automatically jump on, jump on them. Okay. Um, and with that, we are just about out of time. Are there any closing thoughts uh, from either of you? I think integrity matters, especially in law and, and as a member of society. And we should, uh, especially today, with everything going on, we should uh, work to be more model citizens. John Mayer's got this awesome line in one of his songs. It says something like, uh, if something's not right when all your heroes are in black and white, you know, it's, it sometimes can rain true. I, I can agree. Integrity does matter. And also college board, all y'all. I, I, I'm not a cheater. I swear. I swear. I don't cheat. I, I promise on it. Never. I've never intentionally cheated. Always from my brain. And that's why I'm failing physics. <laughs> okay. Um, Thanks again to our panel, Seth and Joanne. Reminder, you can find a link to the article discussed by going to lawreviewsquared.com and looking at the episode notes. Let us know what topics you'd like us to consider by twittering suggestions to at squared law. Please like, follow, subscribe, or give us a rating wherever you found this podcast. Audio post-processing by Mohammed Salim. Podcast adjourned.